but it's also something where I could go to Home Depot and buy rolls and rolls of roofing flashing and either sand off the very, very fine um, coating of PVC on them and etch sort of these atmospheric kind of very different types of etchings than an etching you would make on zinc. Or I could use the the sort of dry point quality and etch line into it. So to answer your question, the decision to use that material has informed every body of work that I've made since in this last year. Welcome to the Studio Break Podcast. I'm your host, David Linaway. For today's 146th episode, we're joined by Corey Slauson, who is one of our 2014 Studio Break competition winners selected by Richard Holland, one of the founders of Bad at Sports, the world-renowned Chicago podcast, so we're very excited to have her on. We talk about her work, her exhibition opens at the Peoria Art Guild. It's called Take I-80 West until the light changes and it runs through August 26th. So please check that show out in Peoria, Illinois. Once again, if you're new to Studio Break, we want to let you know Studio Break is a podcast and blog site. We feature a variety of different artists. They come on to Studio Break. I interview them all about their studio practice, and we share these interviews right there on Studio Break. You can access any of the archived episodes by searching left on the archive button. You can go month by month and check out all the podcasts that you've missed. Once again, we are available in iTunes, so please check us out there and subscribe to the podcast. If you want, you can follow our Facebook page and like it. We provide updates and new guests and all sorts of stuff like that. You can follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. And please send your tweets, share your work at Studio Break on Twitter. So please check us out there. Here is our interview with Corey. Stay tuned. All right, welcome to Studio Break, Corey Slauson. How are you this morning? We've been chatting a bit. I'm doing great, and I'm really excited, so thank you. Where are you located, I guess? I should start off by saying that. Where are you? I am sitting in my studio right now in on the third floor of my home in Cleveland Heights, Ohio, which is the one of the first east side entering suburbs of Cleveland. And you are a Ohio native, is that right? I'm actually um, sitting like two blocks from where I grew up. So yeah, <laughs> I am. I Gosh, was... that's, you know, that's an interesting idea right yeah. there. And, and location, as you can tell, so location, space, and place are sort of a huge driver in my work. So that note, that fact is, is pretty deep for me. I mean, I think you're probably the, the first artist that I, that I know that has made, made work as close as they're making it to where they grew mm-hmm. up, I guess. So yeah. what's it like kind of growing up there? sort of an interesting piece of um, information that I would say especially Clevelanders would understand is that I was born in a another entering suburb called Parma, which is the southwest mm-hmm. side of Cleveland. And my parents um, moved us to Cleveland Heights in the 70s when I was about three years old. So Cleveland has a huge east side, west side divide uh, based on the location of the Cuyahoga River, crossing the river, um, which is Less and less, I would say, an influence on our culture now, now that we've seen some regrowth, now that the downtown is getting some new, you know, new young citizens living there. But 
it's, it's always kind of, we've had a, a, a pretty like big divide in our psyche that sort of, um, has shaped kind of the, the culture of the city. And so, um, having to get in a car every weekend and drive from the East to the West side is something that was part of my growing up. And in order to do that from Cleveland Heights, you, we don't have highway direct highway access. So you would basically drive through the entire East side of Cleveland. So that was something that I basically looked at out of a car window every weekend of my life growing up. Yeah, I, I, I was going to say that seems so familiar, you know, your story, or at least in, in certain regards, you know, you kind of pick, you know, the things that you kind of start going, yeah, like, I'm wondering how many artists that, you know, are concerned with landscape, you know, spent time driving through yeah. it, you know, looking out the windows. Yeah. And, and as that, that is one, that is a frame, but also that as um, we certainly didn't stop and walk around, um, we didn't mm-hmm. decide to sort of um, enjoy or use that landscape between those two cities. It was, it, it was a place to go through. And it wasn't until I sort of moved back after getting my bachelor's degree in New York that I decided that I needed to explore the city more the way that I did in New York. Like, you know, I would go because I had to go to a free clinic in the Bronx to get my, you know, MMR shots, you know, I would end up seeing something I wouldn't normally see. And so I think that sort of that idea of having to do something, making it as sort of a way for you to learn about a place, that was something that actually New York taught me that Cleveland was kind of lazy in teaching me, if you will, you know, mm-hmm. that kind of idea that we just sort of drive through places and, and don't really look and stop and, and ask, why is this here? Why is this like this? Why is what used to be here not here anymore? And so those are kind of questions I've been dealing with for a long time. And were you particularly like interested in making art when you were, you know, a kid growing up? I was raised by musicians, which I love to say it like that because my mom always jokes that it sounds like I'm saying I was raised by wolves. (laughs) (laughs) But, um, But I was raised in a family of musicians educators, teachers. So, um, music was sort of an early, early thing that I, that's sort of, it's, it's in me. Um, and you know, the studying the music, you know, playing the piano, learning the saxophone, taking voice lessons, dance, those things were things that I was, uh, were activities that I had more formal, formalized sort of early education in, and that came actually, frankly, came more naturally to me mm-hmm. than art. Um, and what ended up happening is in about seventh grade for, for, I, I can't even remember the reason. And this is a really funny segue, but my mom bought me a Vogue magazine and it was like, just thought, I think she thought that I would like one of the articles in it because I think there was an article about like, I don't know, Robert Smith or something very teenage. Um, but she bought it for me and I started looking through it and I, decided that I actually thought that fashion magazines were really beautiful. So I started drawing clothes in seventh grade and realized that I was pretty, pretty good at drawing. And that was something I never sort of thought I was good at or, or or even thought of doing. And by ninth grade, um, I started taking more formal young artists. They called it the young artist program, but the, the early, the prep program at the Cleveland Institute of Art. 
Wow. So I started um, taking drawing, painting, design, um, jewelry, metals, um, photography. I, I think the thing with growing up with mu- with classical musicians and jazz musicians, which they are predominantly, is there is a there's a there's definitely um, an attitude in that field of start early, practice a lot. And I think that, you know, as soon as they saw I had an interest in this, they thought, well, we better start her early so she can practice a lot, which is a really interesting thing in terms of the way I make now as an artist, as a visual artist, is a little bit different than the way I would practice my saxophone. But, I mean, thank goodness they invested in that because it was then that I realized I wanted to go to art school and I wanted to pursue visual art. Yeah. And, and I think one of the things that's especially interesting, you know, when kind of looking over, you know, especially all the different work that you have on your website in terms of different series, um, different media, mm-hmm. different approaches. Mm-hmm. Um, again, maybe there's a shot in the dark, but I mean, is that something that you think kind of gives you a, a base too, to kind of just be, I don't know, kind of adventurous in terms of just how you're going to explore to kind of know that you, I don't know, it seems like that work ethic means a lot, you know, just kind of putting in those hours. It does. And the other thing is that, I mean, to, to your point of, I have different bodies of work where I take different approaches to either the making or to the final results. I don't put like, I don't feel like I always have to make the same way if, if the subject or the, the concept of the, the work doesn't call for, you know, screen print then maybe it's something else. For example, the Making Money the Harder Way uh, collaboration that I do with Elizabeth Emery about wage disparity, you know, letterpress and performance and collaboration were absolutely the essential components to making that work conceptually what it is, visually what it is, and it's a continuing project. So it may change, but but at that time we knew that it had to be performance and, and that print was going to be um, essential in, in the ability to print a 77 cent dollar that we designed. So, you know, that idea of I, I, I'm no letterpress expert, although I'm much better now than I was when I started. I had never done it. Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things where she had she's really good at it and we kind of work together. And the idea of collaboration, the idea of, you know, musicians collaborate all the time. So I think maybe that that definitely comes through in that background. Um, how invested were you in it? Like in terms, did you know that you wanted to be a designer or did you want to be an artist right away? Did you kind of know that early on? So, yeah, so early on, and this is the funny thing about, I don't know. I, I love, I love how we all think as kids and then what happens as we get older, the, but that, but some things never change. Um, so once I started taking painting and drawing and, um, metals and all of that at CIA. I'm not going to say I abandoned the fashion design thing because I actually went to an art school that with a huge fashion design program. I went to Parsons School of Design and all of my roommates were fashion designers. Um, but that was, I knew I was going to go in and go into the fine arts department. I knew I was going to go in and, and probably study painting. I didn't know that I was going to minor in printmaking, which is sort of the the magical, <laughs> the magical pony in my work, <laughs> you know, the, the kind of thing that has made me as a painter, a better painter is, is the print practice. And when you kind of start taking print classes there, I mean, do they kind of have the gauntlet of every kind of, you know, printmaking process that you're kind of learning? Well, you know, that I, I'm glad you asked that Parsons is, I, 
I don't know if it's like this anymore. I should probably have looked it up. But um, at the time, you could not major in print at Parsons. But as a result, every so like you would be in an etching class in Talia 101 with Paul Marcus, who is an amazing New York artist and was is a very politically based artist and had a huge influence in in my work in terms of getting brave about about addressing things that affect you sociopolitically, um, social justice ideas, all of that. He was one of the first people to kind of sort of push me to not, not be subtle. He used to say, don't be so subtle, you know? So, and anyway, so, so he was my etching teacher and, um, you know, you were in a class with illustration, photographer, you know, like, um, design majors and all of our print classes were definitely multidisciplinary and multi, um, departmental, which is kind of nice because of the conversations that happen. There's a different, there's definitely like different cult culture, like the sort of the, the language that, that, that graphic designers use around, you know, discussing work can be different than the language that painters use. And there's nothing like everybody sort of on the level playing field of learning etching together to make that conversation even more interesting. So I felt like that was a really great thing at my particular, in my bachelor's that, you know, having that experience of, of talking, talking about work a little bit differently than you can get into habits, I guess, you know, so it would sort of break. It was sort of, what do you mean by that? And, you know, the kind of, I don't know, the interesting things that, that the interesting ways the different um, visual makers approach talking about concepts. And what kind of, so what kind of things were you interested in making was landscape and, and thinking about where you grew up? I mean, was that something that was kind of in there or is that something where, you know, when you're in your BFA, you're really just kind of exploring everything and, I was exploring everything, but I was also exploring in a weird way, um, more singular symbol. Um, I know I worked a lot with corn imagery because of its sort of cellular quality, because of its sort of connotations out East, which was a really interesting, you know, the relativity of being from Cleveland and and having New Yorkers ask me about, you know, if you've been to Cleveland, you know that it looks more like Brooklyn than it looks like Peoria, mm-hmm. right? Like, so the interesting conversations about place that you have when you're from another place and, and people don't know much about your place except for the river catching fire, the jokes. And at the time, you know, Cleveland hadn't really like, we're enjoying a little bit, a little bit <laughs> of of a national sort of conversation that's not so joke oriented. I would only say a little bit, but, you know, um, definitely when I was there in, in New York in the mid nineties, it was still, you know, kind of a laughing stock kind of place. So, um, so in a way like explaining the kind of place you're from, it's, it's informative to have to do that to sort of say, well, actually Cleveland Heights is a really diverse inner ring suburb. Um, there's lots of trees, but it's, you know, it, you know, just kind of having to describe that it's actually more like, parts of the East coast than, than one would think. But then it also is definitely Ohio, mm-hmm. whatever that means. <laughs> Ohio is a pretty diverse state, you know, it's a, it's got a lot going on. <laughs> sure. Sure. And and so you were, were you also kind of taking painting then at the same time and, and kind of starting to yep. explore 
kind of putting them together or did that kind of come a little bit later? I was taking painting and print and I was dealing with them as separate entities in my bachelor's. Do you feel like you left with your BFA, like with a really kind of like formal, like interest in terms of just like, I guess the way that you work, cause so much of your work, you know, is like colorful, mm-hmm. um, you know, and kind of incorporating these abstract elements and, and flat mm-hmm. shapes. And mm-hmm. I mean, did you kind of leave there with, with a real love for that kind of, kind of like visual elements or? Yes, absolutely. And, um, you know, I had, um, amazing instructors whose, whose, whose work and whose instructional sort of the way that they taught was a big influence on me. But, you know, the first time I was ever shown a Joseph Albers color test with the two, you know, where, where you take the same square, put it on a different background and it looks like a different color. You take, you know, that, that whole idea of, of, of gestalt and color theory and all of that is, huge. You know, it's, it's something that I think about a lot and it's very important to me. Um, at the same time, so my teacher, Judy Glantzman, who may be listening to this is one of my, um, sort of biggest influences in terms of how much I love her work, but also how much I love the way she taught me about my work and, and about all of us, you know, how things, things that, that she would push you to think about. And, and, and so for her, and and, and one of the things she always told me is to embrace the discomfort when you don't know what something is yet. She would talk a lot about what something looks like versus what it is. The sort of idea of like materially or conceptually what something is and what it looks like. That conversation is something that I, it's, it's something that I think about today, this moment even as I look at around my studio at, at all the work I'm, I'm in the making, in the process of making, you know, those are, those are deep concerns, um, for me. Very interesting to be able to look back on those things that still rattle, you know what I mean? Those things that yeah. keep coming back in your head and you're like, Oh yep. yeah. You know, yeah. it's, it's just very funny how, how certain things become so ingrained in your thinking or at least part of it, you know? Yeah. Did you go straight to your to your MFA or did you take some time off and kind of explore other I took let's see the math here. I took 7 years off mm-hmm. and worked. Yeah, I I took me 7 years to to go and get my MFA. And so what kind of things were you doing? I mean, were you doing art related things or I was, I was working, I was working on, I I worked as an installation technician and mount maker at the Cleveland Museum of Art, sort of going back to those metal skills. (laughs) My husband and um, a few friends of mine, really um, great artists, designer, photographers, writers, urban planners, we started um, a web zine in the early 2000s called Hotel Bruce where we began to try to start the conversations about Cleveland's history as, you know, as buildings get torn down, you know, what were they just sort of trying to bring in sort of an element of, of a historical account of places that, that, that were sort of getting, getting not that we're just getting raised, you know, sort of as we sort of watched our history and, and a lot of places. So the hotel Bruce was actually a hotel located 
in what's called the Midtown Corridor, which was that exact um, sort of area between Cleveland Heights and, and basically downtown Cleveland, which is where you'd get on the highway to go to the west side. So growing up, that that whole neighborhood, all these buildings that we'd pass, that I would pass, that we would all pass, um, you know, start just getting taken down because they're so abandoned and vacant. So we started that magazine. We called it a magazine. It was really just always a web journal. Mm-hmm kind of trying to re- re-envision some of these neighborhoods anew. It was all very sort of um, hopeful and abstract at the time. We were young. <laughs> and so we did that. We got some actually some, some George Gunn Foundation and Cleveland Foundation seed money to work on it. We did it as a project for about two years. And then for various reasons, we all kind of wanted to focus more on our individual practices. We we stopped doing it, um, but it's archived on the web. And if you ever want to look it up, it's just hotelbruce.com. So I did that. I worked on um, the exhibition development team for the International Spy Museum. And for the then after that, for the Maltz Museum of Jewish Heritage here in Beechwood, Ohio. So basically two historical museums. And I did that, and and basically in 2004, I began my uh, master's program at Kent State University in their School of Art. And and I'm curious, too, I mean, just kind of all that experience, I mean, is that something where I'm sure you're making artwork, you know, while you're working in these, you know, various positions, I mean, is that something that also kind of... I don't know, contributed to kind of like, I don't know, collaborations and, and especially kind of being able to jump around from different media. Certainly like there's a lot of, you know, pieces that kind of seem like they start from maybe recycled materials actually found in the landscape. Is that something that started at that time or is that something still a bit later? It's always hard to tell, especially when you got so much good stuff to keep track of, you know? <laughs> the stuff that's on my website, archived back, mm-hmm. is is goes back to the first body of work that I made right as I finished my MFA at Kent. Okay. The work that I made for that seven years between Parsons and Kent, I'm not going to say is insignificant because I don't think anything is insignificant. I was making huge, goopy oil paintings um, that would take me a very long time you know, to finish. And they're the paintings that got me into my MFA and they kept me engaged in making work. But I will say proudly that, um, you know, my time at Kent State was really formative in terms of me coming together with, with, with the things that were important to me in my life, um, project wise, you know, all of it, like you said, all these different ways of working and kind of gelling it together materially into what really has become a painting and it works on paper mixed media practice, you know, more or less, mm-hmm. you know, and I owe a lot to my instructors there who, who encouraged me to keep experimenting, to stop stretching canvas and just work on paper. For me, that was huge. The switch to paper. Was that something that allowed you to like, I would imagine then the material exchange would be, Way different than it was before. I don't know. I get the sense that, like, you thought of painting as being, like, something kind of separate. Mm -hmm. Is that something that, like, kind of, like, did you, like, immediately start playing with different materials and, you know, different configurations or? Yeah, I remember um, one of my instructors, um, Martin Ball, who's a really great painter, he he came into my studio one day and he was like, (laughs) he was like, I need you to stop painting on canvas right now. 
he's like, and I need you to start doing what you're thinking, what's in your mind's eye and just really go find cardboard and start painting it and start putting up these ideas that you're talking about. And he was basically saying, you're thinking too much. You're editing before you even make this thing. And at the time it was sort of a, I was, I was making kind of a 2d installation on the wall that where, where, where individual elements were the landscape and the wall was the white of the paper, if you will, sort of conceptually. And he, he was, and, and one of the things he said to me, and this is one of the things I remember a lot is he was like, don't not make this. Don't stop yourself from making this. Don't think that this is stupid. Like, don't think that this material is not worthwhile. And I, I would never sort of admit to having thought that about cardboard or paper, but I was behaving that way. You know, I was giving more importance to a stretched canvas and it was, it it was in a way holding me back from doing the thing I wanted to do, which is sort of piece together these landscapes using different media, using what I could find, being able to cut into it. And, and I mean, obviously you can cut into canvas, obviously you can do this, you can do all, you can make all of these things that I make in a million different ways. But for me, it was incredibly freeing to realize that I could make things the way that you know, that I started making them at Kent. And did you see kind of like more of a connection between, I don't know, the ideas that you were concerned about with these places too? Cause I would imagine that would be something that would shift completely too. Yeah. And I make too many jokes sometimes and it makes people think that I, I don't like, I take everything very, you know, I take my practice seriously, but I also, what I love about paper is, I don't know if there were a flood it's sort of comforting to me to know that the stuff could dissolve. Mm-hmm. It's sort of, I can roll it up and get it up to my third floor. I can make a 96 inch work on paper more cheaply um, than I can. At, 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 I mean, I can't frame it cheaply, but I can make it cheaply. I can be flexible about it. I can walk it up and down the stairs. I can take it somewhere. Let's say I need to run it through a press. I can, I can put it in the back of my seat of my car and get it there, you know, in a way that if I were working on a 96 inch piece of anything Mm -hmm. rigid, I couldn't get it up to my studio as my studio is currently. So I'd have to find a different space and I wouldn't be able to just throw it in the back of my Toyota, (laughs) you know, like, so there's a, there's a flexibility that I feel like for, for me, paper is affordable, it's accessible, and I can do a lot of things with it. And, and to me, that's incredibly freeing. And it's also important because it it's absolutely meets with the reality of who I am, where I live and what my income is and, and what my space is like. So it's just sort of admitting to, to, to what a way I want to work that fits with the way I live. After this uh, studio visit where you're now kind of like let loose, I mean, are there any, you know, particular pieces, um, I don't know that you might pick in terms of just maybe highlighting or like a series or anything that was kind of important in terms of kind of connecting it. Like I said, to kind of this idea of, I don't know, our relationship to the landscape in in a way that I don't know, maybe wasn't there before, you know, like, like more charged, more, I guess in your face, anything like that. Well, jumping ahead and which is on my website, work party 118, which is what I did as my solo exhibit space lab uh, project at spaces gallery Mm -hmm. in 2010. It was that, that was definitely a situation where I was basically the, there was a whole process to that 
work. We had to go into the space. We had to remove all of the trash that was there. I brought the trash back to my studio and I changed it formally. I painted on it. I attached ribbons to it. I, I sort of went off of, if it was smashed, you know, I, I chose certain bits of trash for, for what they said formally, what, what was going on with them, just even materially color wise. I used those cues to then develop kind of a series of, of very temporary installations on two vacant lots that we worked with the community development corporation for Midtown Cleveland to secure the right for me to, to work on those lots so that me and about 45 volunteers could be out there for a day, just making these, what I would say are these drawings. And so it was February. We had a nice, beautiful white sheet of paper of snow, brand new, fresh snow, bright, sunny day. And we were out there following the cues of the architectural remnants on the spaces that the, the on the land, following the cues of is there a tree within 30, you know, 30 feet of, of this, um, you know, rusty piece of fence? Okay, let's, let's make a zigzag there and kind of intuitively making large drawings. Um, I let it. I was six months pregnant, <laughs> but I didn't do all of the work. I worked with people. We, we all worked together and, and everybody could see it was, it was um, I had a sort of a non-site sort of to, to rob from Smithson, but I had back at the gallery, I had kind of a conceptual, here's what I'm thinking Mm -hmm. where I drew on the walls and I kind of recreated the actual places. I had handouts of, of where we were, what the map, the mapping. Um, and the 118 was the, all of the lots in that area, that particular part of Cleveland are, are 118 hyphen, and then they're numbered. So these ideas of numbered parcel lands, so, um, and then the, the, the play on words of work party, labor party, you know, the idea of it was a party, but it's also, it, it was definitely work. It was something where we were all getting in there together and changing a space temporarily. We got a really heavy snowstorm three days later with that really heavy, like this was the end of February. So that early March snow, it's super wet. And they all sagged and they completely changed. And my um, my pledge to the CDC was as soon as it started looking bad, I'd go in and change it and, and take it away. So I did that. Well, it's interesting, especially to hear the the kind of like participation aspect, you know, in terms of the community. Because, you know, you, you again, initially, even just as you started talking, you know, we're talking about how important it was in terms of like where you grew up. And I don't know, I just I think there's something interesting about. I don't know. Was there a lot of discussion, you know, like involved in terms of the people that were participating and, you know, do they like bring other people, you know, like, hey, come check out what we've been working on. And I don't know. There's something about that. That's very cool. Sorry. We no, no. Yeah, we. So all those handouts we. So at the opening, they were given out. I also went door to door in the neighborhood itself and gave them out just to let people know what we were going to be doing because there was going to be people who aren't usually doing anything on these vacant lots doing something. And I invited people in the neighborhood to come participate. And a couple kids did, but I would say that I wished more would have, could have wanted to come, but that's not that, that it wasn't expected. It wasn't, it was like, and, and what I was very, I'm like super clear about, like, this was not a neighborhood improvement. This was not an intervention. This was a one day act of temporary installation that 
what that that was that was meant to be beautiful that wasn't meant to do more than that from the standpoint of I don't kid myself that I would have even had the power to to make a huge impact. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I'm saying? Sure, sure. It there were a few folks who came over who just said from their windows it looked really pretty. They really liked seeing it. And and it's, that's why it was important to me that as soon as it looked bad that I don't leave it there. Um because there were there's too many things in in Midtown that look bad that people have put there that then they leave there. So that was important to me to not do that. So is this around the time then that you started these these residencies as well? Yeah, actually the first residency that I'd ever been on as an artist, I I was sent um by my current employer, Zygote Press, Ohio's largest open access print shop. And um, now going on our next year will will be Zygote's 20th year of existence, Um, an artist-run workshop and um, print studio with an exhibition schedule. So it's, you know, there's a lot um, going on at Zygote, but Zygote has worked um, and collaborated with the, and, and, and received funding from the Ohio Arts Council for 19 years now to have a Dresden exchange. So I, um, I was lucky enough to be chosen and awarded the fellowship in, two th- in 2011 when I went to Dresden for five weeks and worked at the Graphic Werkstatt there. Taking millions of photos, probably. Yes, taking <laughs> a lot of photos and, um, you know, being in a place, having been um, involved in the building of a Jewish museum, being in a place shaped by World War II in a huge way, shaped by that history, you know, having a lot of different sort of, I would walk around and just start crying mm-hmm. <laughs> because of the, the idea of, of that firebombing, um, the firebombing of Dresden at the end of the war. Um, and, and just sort of, I don't know, it was a very deep um, experience of place and what, and the meaning of, of what, what places carry. So, you know, the idea of going to a place that carries such a heavy um, story mm-hmm. and, and it, it was, uh, you know, I did not go there. Think, I, I went there, <laughs> I went there with this completely different idea of what I was going to make. Mm-hmm. And this is when I learned the lesson of let the place talk to you. Mm-hmm. And so very quickly, pretty much within three days of working in the workshop and walking around, I knew that Dresden was going to tell me what I was going to make there. Well, and it's interesting to just to see what changes, you know, I mean, you know, like, and certainly in like, in, in terms of some of the prints, you know, it yeah. looks like that definitely has like an impact. I mean, was, was, did it tell you, I mean, obviously historically it's different, um, yep. but like, like, did you notice a lot visually too? I mean, did you, did you, did you try to make any kind of connections or was it all just, you know, like, I'm going to go with what this place is telling me to do? You know, there were, there were connections that, you know, five weeks isn't that long. (laughs) Um, and so, and, and actually really it's four weeks of working because just from the logistics of shipping 45 prints of a larger scale back to Cleveland, Ohio from Dresden, Germany means there's gotta be drawing time and shipping and packing. So I basically worked on the, the bodies of work for three and a half weeks straight, 
Mm-hmm. And then, and, and it was so much of reacting to what I'm seeing, to trying to process what I'm seeing, to making a lot of mistakes, like so many, so many things of so many misunderstood things, such as the, the, um, the sort of, um, if you can see the kind of figures in, in a lot of that work that sort of repeat, Mm -hmm. those are photo litho figures. They all look charred, but they're not charred because of the firebombing. They're oxidized stone. It's just limestone and it's polluted. You know what I mean? Like it's just pollution and oxidation, oxidization, Mm -hmm. but it's, it's, unmistakably they look like burnt figures. And so for me, I couldn't get away from that. So it was sort of taking, that's, that's a really good example of, of, of what something looks like and what it is. And me sort of thinking about using that conceptually in the work to explore work that I felt really compelled to make about firebombing and about the city's sort of, you know, down to rubble kind of, psyche sure you know you kind of mentioned that you know like this is also something that kind of moved um i guess the formal direction of some of your your pieces too um just kind of residency experiences yeah Um, i don't know could you maybe talk just a little bit about i don't know just how how experiences like that might kind of influence the the way that you're thinking about i guess combining these different these different um images because especially like the you know the more current that you get it starts to kind of like layer up and mm-hmm. you know dissolve and i don't know it's just very interesting to kind of see these maybe indicators i guess and in, in some of these uh works like the ones we were just talking about from dresden yeah i mean so so that you know the the graphic Werkstatt had photolithography i hadn't had access to photolithography since parsons and 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 that was the, one of those weird moments where you start off stubborn and then you realize you need to move ahead. So I, I, at the time, at the time I was really deep into using screen printing in my work. Mm -hmm. And in fact was, I took, I took that five weeks between starting and then finishing a, a body of work for Mocha Cleveland. I was in their final exhibition at their old space and basically created a body of work about them abandoning their neighborhood. I, I say that, Yes, yes, it was a, it was partially about that, but it was laced with more positivity than that. But the curator was the curator was was generous with giving me sort of the, the leeway to make a more or less mildly critical view of them leaving their old building for a different neighborhood, if you will, mm-hmm. because they were leaving Midtown to University Circle. So anyway, um, but but what's interesting about what happened between that time is. I went from full-on screen printing as the way to access this sort of phot- photographic image making and, and the painting and the kind of layering to realizing in Dresden that etching and, pho- and, and litho work too. You know, as simple as, you know, if, you, if I take the painting and the screen out of the equation because they're not available to me, I will use other materials to get to a new place. But what happened in Dresden was... I started really using letterpress and, and, and lithography and etching in ways that are with me today in terms of layering and using using the medium that best suits the purpose. It's just interesting to see things that relate between the bodies of work, you know, like mm-hmm. I'm looking at uh, the unmoving glass wall, 
yeah. which is essentially what like all all stenciled kind of over glass. Yep. Screen printed and painted. Yep. It's interesting to think about again the way that you know that glass kind of creates you know like a figure ground relationship and yeah. you know certainly that's something that's present but in different ways in the other bodies. Um, right. So I don't know. There's just something interesting to kind of be able to kind of I don't know see these different configurations. You know, like they might have different concerns each time. It's interesting also to hear about how these different you know techniques start kind of getting involved. Mm-hmm. Um, is that something that like each time then you you would kind of I don't know, maybe take something that you'd learn from like a different process and kind of try to incorporate it. Or are there specific like goals that you might have in terms of materials or limitations? How do all these things kind of combine into like what you're going to make in terms of like planning it, I guess is what I'm getting at. (laughs) So one of the things that is a concern. So, so like, again, fast forwarding to last summer, I took my work to be looked at I was in the viewing program at the drawing center Mm -hmm. and Lisa Siegel, the curator there looked at my work and we had a really wonderful conversation. But one of the challenges she put forth to me was, was a material one. And so it's always great to get feedback that is, that drives you to, to look at what you're doing out of not maybe out of habit or comfort, but for lack of a better word, habit or comfort, things you're good at you know, you, you're sort of like, well, I'm good at that. So, you know, and, um, so I, I had that, that, that studio visit with her. And then I hopped on the subway and went and saw the Sigmar Polka retrospective at MoMA and was just like, I mean, obviously that was a huge retrospective. There was a lot to look at. There was a lot in my head already, but one of the things that kept poking out at me was, Look at the way he's using a material here, which is completely different than the way he's using a material there, which is completely different. You know, the idea that there was he there was like it was like, I'm going to try everything. I'm going to hold a stick of uranium up to photographic paper and look at these amazing pink prints that are going to come out of that. And and then I'm going to put it back in its lead box and I'm going to go over here and cut out magazine. I mean, it just was it was like sort of overwhelming in terms of work on paper, actually. Um, and layering. Um, so, so, so the conversation about architecture and development and sort of human sort of interaction with the environment and our sort of our building habits, the way that we start and then leave communities or, you know, just all of those conversations, which I think about, I, I, um, I had found out that you could, and, and that you could make etchings using, copper sulfate, which is no, it's no, it's no, uh, secret. I mean, you can etch zinc and aluminum, um, and steel using copper sulfate instead of nitric acid. So it's a, it's a slightly greener, less toxic way to make prints, mm-hmm. but it's also something where I could go to home Depot and buy rolls and rolls of roofing flashing and either sand off the very, very fine, um, coating of PVC on them, um, and etch sort of these atmospheric kind of very different types of etchings than an etching you would make on zinc, or I could use the the sort of dry point quality and etch line into it. So to answer your question, the decision to use that material has informed every body of work that I've made since in this last year. The the quality of of the of the way that that roofing flashing etched was was absolutely and is absolutely fundamental to to something that I'm trying to achieve visually. 
but I can also get it for $7 and you could also repair your roof with it. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know. There's, there's something really interesting about the, the way that, you know, architecture and, and buildings become kind of fragmented. Could you just talk a little bit about, I guess, just, I don't know, your interest in abstraction, or at least I guess the way that it, you know, sometimes it'll be, I guess, more cohesive. Sometimes it'll be more fragmented. Sometimes it looks like it's, I don't know, being enveloped by dust or something, you know? Um, Yeah. Well, um, so I have like a little fun wall of quotes because I, I try to, I try to read Mm -hmm. up in my studio sometimes while I'm working when I need to, when I need to just be looking to keep myself from overworking something by just rote, you know, I try to read to Mm -hmm. get my mind off of the need to make something with my hand. And I found this quote by Arp that he said, I like nature, but not its substitutes. Mm -hmm. So, so a lot of the work that I'm creating, I've actually just, I've owned the word fantasy. Mm -hmm. I've, I've decided to own that this, this work is definitely based in reality in real places, but once it's become the page, that reality has, has become something else. It's, it's me piecing together and the abstraction, the elements of abstraction, I think they do a few things. In, in some cases, they add almost an atmospheric quality that might mimic sort of the idea of weather, of jet stream, of, of atmosphere and environment in a sort of almost a very literal way. But they, you know, the, using spray paint, which I know is it's, it has a direct conversation with graffiti and the urban landscape, but also use the, the orange spray paint is, is what absolutely demarcates, you know, where a utility line is going to go. So you're going to see that on grass or on concrete as like, this is here, dig here guys and put the line here, you know? So it's the, it's the, it's the idea that, um, that I'm still sort of searching for what I'm for what I'm doing when I'm making, I, I, I don't, I don't have a, a, a fully formed answer for, but I know that the drivers, the drivers are based in a very sort of personal place of concern for the environment, concern for social justice, concern for how, for waste and how we sort of eat up the landscape, leave a lot of people behind or sort of tread over them, you know, in this pursuit, if you will. And I'm, I, I'm complicit, you know, it's, it's not just me sort of pointing my finger at, you know, whatever developers. Okay. But it's, it's, it's the sort of complicity of, of it's at least trying to have, I'm trying to have a conversation with myself about, you know, what, what does this all sort of mean? And it seems like you could kind of be working on tons of different things at the same time and go, you know, this one isn't working. So I'm going to just spray paint this thing right here. or I'm going to like, whatever, introduce a new process, a new way of thinking. I can't tell you how many times I've quote messed something up mm-hmm. <laughs> and the fix has been my favorite part. It's like, well, I couldn't have planned that. Um, as much of that as there is, there's a lot of planning. Yeah, I, I make a lot of stuff at the same time. I work on smaller pieces. Mm-hmm. Some of the smaller works um, I work on at the same time as, as larger works so that I can, it's almost like the a very traditional printmaking, proofing it out. 
like proof, proof, proof. How does this, how do, how will this print? How will this print? How can I get it to print the way I want it to print? Oh, I need more transparent base, or I need to add a little bit of green to the bottom of that red. So they blend, you know, so working on paper, working in print, working with multiples allows me the flexibility to make, 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 and then decide to edit. The editing process is, is big. And is there also like a lot uh, then that changes in terms of like something where you're going to alter then, you know, with like drawing or painting or collage, you know, something that you're going to add to it after you've kind of resolved it somewhat as a a surface almost to kind of start on? Yeah. I mean, one of the things I can't remember, someone who was looking at my work recently said, you know, it looks like you give yourself things to react to. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I do. That's so accurate. It's I, I... I mean, it starts with the iPhone that is loaded with 80 pictures. Usually I'm sitting in a light or I'm walking to the grocery store or go to the bank or, you know, to the pho, you know, soup place across from Zygote. And I see something that I've seen a million times and all of a sudden I notice something that I've got to have. So I take, take, take a bunch of pictures and then they sit there for until basically my camera on my phone says you don't have any more space Mm -hmm. and I plug them into the computer and I download all of them. And then they can sit there for weeks or a month or longer before I decide to pull them into Photoshop and turn them into a plate. And then it's that decision-making of, is it going to be a plate that fits on the, you know, the 18 by 22 screen? Is it going to be one that fits on one of my bigger screens or my smaller screens? Am I going to make one that I make for a screen and the other for a photo litho? Like, am I going to just use it as block out in an etching? So it's like, it starts, it's so much of it just starts with me moving through a place and, I used to just carry a camera around and now that I have an iPhone, which I was late to the iPhone, you know, party, Mm -hmm. but it's been instrumental because, um, DPI is important, but it's what happens in Photoshop and later is more what I'm sort of the conversation that I'm having with, with photography. Right. Right. However, now that I, we've brought photo litho back to Zygote where I work, um, gosh, what a what an amazing medium for picking up subtlety, photographic subtlety. So now, of course, I'm I'm back to schlepping the camera around because I want the higher DPI. You know, so I mean, so in a weird way, it, yeah. I, I guess to answer your question, yeah, it's 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 like this back and forth, and the the very large pieces. So the ones in sort of um, the voids and secret gardens kind of, um, that realm of that area of work when I started to work really large, Mm -hmm. I work on those for up to nine months, 10 months. And it's not that I'm toiling away 90 hours a day, which of course is impossible, but you know, forever on that one piece all the time. It means that it's, it's, it's up in my studio. I make marks, I look at it and then I put it up and I make a bunch of other stuff around it. And then I bring it back out So some of the interesting thing, and this is a recent conversation I've had with people, is my smaller work tends to have a more graphic quality and a faster quality because it absolutely is what I'm working on while I'm working on these big pieces that are just sort of about time and my own time, Mm -hmm. how much time I've spent with them, how much I've looked at them, what gets covered, what doesn't get covered, what gets painted what gets the sumi ink? What doesn't, you know, like as I add processes, the big pieces tend to have a lot going on in that way. 
because they they're sort of moving through time with me. I spend a lot of time with these guys. I mean, it's just interesting to hear how these these might get processed differently, or you know, that the way that you know a new show will become a new challenge. Um, tell tell me a little bit about what's coming up um, at the the Peoria Art Guild, where you have a upcoming solo exhibition. Tell us all about it. I'm so excited. Um, I so about six weeks ago, five weeks ago, we. We drove out there. Uh, we drove to Peoria. My husband, my son, my five-year-old son, and I um, piled into the car. And basically, my goal was to just look at it. I just look around and 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 in a really fast way, just sort of have a first impression about Peoria. So I, I'm planning on bringing nearly twenty-five discrete objects to the show. Um, I'm going to have two or three of the incredible, like of the very large 94 to 96 inch works on paper that I've been working on for quite some time. Um, I'm bringing other sort of smaller works on paper, uh, different sort of series. And then I created a series specifically based on that really short trip to Peoria. So I made the pieces really quickly I traveled to, to Peoria very quickly. Um, I'm actually really excited about them because they start to do something different, very different in terms of light and color and refraction and sort of the conversation about light than the work that I've been that I've made previously because I had never been that far west. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, the farthest west I've ever been was San Diego, Tijuana, and so no points in between, if you will like between Chicago and, and the last time I was in Chicago was ages ago. So I didn't realize the light there is really different than the light near a lake, near Lake Erie. So I was really struck by, I look at my photos that I took and they're just, it's like, they're so, it's like they're bleached out in a way that I, I didn't expect, or they're just, it's so bright there and the the land is flat and it, it was, I just was really struck and taken, taken aback in a, and I mean all of this in a very complimentary way. It was, I thought it was really beautiful. I thought the light was really beautiful. Mm-hmm. So, um, I decided to have a conversation with, with speed and light and, and, and the fact that we kind of road tripped it there and very much sort of framing everything as, as a passenger in a car, looking at a new city for the first time and what sort of stuck out to me. And, and so I have a series of six pieces that actually, not to be too sort of like didactic about it, but they start in Cleveland mm-hmm. and they, and then they go, they kind of pass through Toledo and then end up in Peoria in a way. So <laughs> almost like a travel, a little bit of a travel series. I always just get fascinated just when I wind up in a new place, just cause there's, I don't know, there's just something that I wind up thinking about you know there's some yeah. some new stimuli that sticks up and i don't know just makes you reprocess it a different way like again it's easy it's interesting to hear you talk about just the light differences because that's something that you know you don't necessarily think that you're conscious of but you go somewhere else and you totally notice it you know yeah you feel it i mean it's sort of like not to get too you know sort of hippy dippy about <laughs> it but you know we feel the, i mean the environment the atmosphere i mean you feel this stuff in a way that you can't always put your finger on, you know, you can't, that I don't have the words really 
to describe it. So I'm just trying to process it visually using really, um, you know, kind of rudimentary, you know, clumsy materials to talk about light, which are paint and, (laughs) you know, and paint and print. I mean, that's definitely not film, you know, (laughs) it's definitely not, it's, it's certainly, um, materials that, so I'm trying to convey this, you know, using these, these other materials, but well, and I think that is something that's interesting, too, because it might kind of put you in a different context, like in terms of when you're seeing them, because you're not, mm-hmm. you know, just looking them to like identify them, you know, like there's something about those materials that maybe try to evoke that sensation that you get from some of these landscapes that you're interested mm-hmm. in. I don't mm-hmm. know, there's there's certain aspects of it that I start kind of like wondering in terms of how they're going to relate or be different or so there's something that's very interesting in terms of that conversation. You know what else is, uh, and this happened in Tijuana, this happened in Dresden, this has happened everywhere I've had a show and have put the local landscape into the work. And I kind of love this is I am happy to admit that people like to see something that speaks to their, their experience and, and people like to see places they're, they're familiar with. So there's no question that when I made work about Tijuana in Tijuana, that was really complicated we weren't there for very long. We were Americans. We were invited. Absolutely. But what a complicated relationship our country has with the border of Mexico. What a history. I mean, there's so many layers of what goes into all of that. And the last thing you want to do is feel like sort of this inauthentic tourist who's, you know, making a thing that's that this is what I think about your town. Do you know what I mean? Like I, that's, that's imposing sort of a, an impression. Mm-hmm. So all I could do and, and what I like to do is at least react to what's extant. Like what colors am I seeing? What is this place? How, how does this feel to me? I mean, in a lot of ways it's, it's, it's trying to reprocess it in a, in an intuitive way. And, and, and what I have to do very quickly, the ones that I do quickly have a different quality than the ones that I take a long time with, but they both inform each other, mm-hmm. if that makes sense. I mean, they're, it's, they're kind of vital to each other. The, the things that I've already learned from this series I've made for Peoria, it's going to end up in, in, in work now, just, just because I thought about light in a new way because Peoria's light made me and now I can't get away from it. (laughs) You know, like it's there in the same way that, um, you know, the Mexican pigments and, you know, that I can't get away from those. They're so much a part of what is important to me now in, in a, in my work. So I don't know. It's sort of like picking up as I go. And what's the name of the exhibition? I'm going to call it take I 80 West until the light changes. It has a bit of a double entendre too, because I basically, you know, I've shot, I shot most of those buildings sitting at a light, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, so just this conversation of both the way that I, I come about my material and also the, the main concern of, of that, that body of work. We have, um, we have a, a letterpress ornament collection, you know, the, those, the, the sort of pre-made, um, they call them ornaments. Um, and we have one of Richard Nixon <laughs> and I, I can't help it because of course, the only thing I knew about Peoria before I came was his quote, will it play in Peoria? So I'm actually going to make a very, um, small, 
like a, just a pile of sort of letter pressed um, little little sort of ephemera pieces that um, that that I'll just have there just because I feel like I feel like that that conversation, that first impression is so far from what my experience was. And I think sometimes that's important to own too, is that I thought one thing, but I felt another. And, and I think it's, it's, I'm interested in that conversation too, in the work. Is there anything else kind of coming up that you're excited about any shows or in late September, um, I'm going to be having a solo exhibition, um, in downtown Cleveland at the Brett Shaheen gallery. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, it will be different work than what is on view at, in Peoria. That's some of the work that I've been working on for a really long time. These, these larger pieces that, that have that durational quality to them. Um, and then I'm, I'm excited because over the summer I was asked to be part of a group exhibition at Spaces. Um, and I'm going to be collaborating with, with my husband and, and really like my bestie. Amber, Amber Anderson, my husband, Mark Lefkowitz, we're going to collaborate together on a show called, basically, it's a revisionist view of a natural history museum. Okay. Like we, we, a group of artists are turning spaces gallery into sort of an examination of a natural history museum, but it's really, it's an examination of, of how natural history museums sort of make their mark on on scientific ideas and natural history and sort of and and how the idea of who's got the last word on something um so it's it's kind of a conversation i'm excited about it it's there's a lot of really great artists in it and um we are creating a group of work together that very much is based on science denial mm-hmm. and sort of reimagining what it would be like if complete and total denial of certain scientific facts came to being and imagined a future with sort of what organisms would develop. Mm-hmm. How would they develop? You know, if, if you denied certain things that we know are fact, what if they're not fact? So kind of playing with the idea of that. And then I'm also, uh, we're also creating um, a feminist planetarium. So kind of a different take on, on a planetarium. <laughs> Excellent. Yeah, it's an yeah. interesting idea, right? Yeah, and you know, I'm really excited about that because one, it's a it's a it's a chance to um, collaborate with you know two of my favorite artists, two of my favorite people, but also to to push myself to make work that I wouldn't have thought of making unless I were asked to be in this show. I mean, honestly, like I think about all these things, but to actually you know make yourself make something that you're not you weren't thinking about before. It's so good for artists because I think it makes you collaboration makes you a lot smarter. I think you have to get, you have to solve problems. You have to let other people's ideas in, you know, and, and I think that that's, I'm excited about, I'm always excited to do that. Well, excellent. Um, again, it's been great having you on again. It feels like we scratched the surface. Um, but, uh, I don't know, maybe, maybe that just means that you'll be back on again. But, uh, again, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me. Thank you. This is, I'm, I'm honored. This was really great.
Thanks once again to Corey for joining us. And please go check out our website, CoreySlauson.com. And be sure to visit Peoria, Illinois. Check out her exhibition that's up at the Peoria Art Guild from now until August 26th. It's called Take I-80 West Until the Light Changes. So go check it out. I do want to remind new listeners that Studio Break has a massive archive. Again, 146 episodes. Go give them a listen. Again, each of those episodes have interviews with the artists as well as images of their work. You can access it through the archive button right on the left sidebar. You can also find us in a number of different places, including Facebook, so please like and follow our page there. You can follow our Tumblr account at studio-break.tumblr. And, of course, please send your tweets and artwork to at Studio Break. Lastly, I want to remind you, if you are a podcast listener and you subscribe to many in iTunes, Studio Break is available, so please subscribe there. Of course, if you like the show, you like the programming and these interviews, please leave us some comments and some feedback. Once again, there's so many people listening to podcasts around the world. You could help them find this one, especially if they're interested in art. We'd really appreciate it. And, of course, any word that you can get out, we thank you for. So thanks so much for that. I do want to thank Skylar Mail for providing the music to Studio Break. You can check out his artwork, his music, and all sorts of good stuff at SkylarMail.com. And then lastly, if you want to check out some of my artwork, you can see what I do at DavidLinway.com. And there's a bunch of paintings and all sorts of good stuff up there, so please check it out. And with that, we are wrapped this week. Thanks so much for listening. We'll talk to you real soon.